Hello and welcome to today's podcast. The podcast channel is Sacred Space Healing. The website is sacredspacehealing.org and I am Amber. I'm a Reiki master teacher and a shamanic practitioner. I've been running my own healing practice since 2007. These podcasts are here to assist you on your journey of healing, gnosis and empowerment. The website again is sacredspacehealing.org. So hello and welcome and thank you to everyone that listens in and for all your lovely messages of support. If you want to continue to support the podcast channel, then head over to the website sacredspacehealing.org and there's a donations page there where you can donate as much or as little as you feel called to and all donations go back into creating more free content and also assisting those who come to see me but are looking for a bursary or some kind of financial assistance. It's also a great way to say thank you and give back uh, energy if these podcasts have assisted you. You can also check out the YouTube channel, the uh, social media channels uh, and the meditations that are on there to help you also. So today in this podcast I would like to shine a light on our growing dependence on meditation apps. Now I'm, I'm isolating meditation apps from apps in general and actually our kind of growing obsession and dependence on technology and how that's dehumanizing us that's going to be another podcast, but I just want to look at meditation apps. Um, I've never used a meditation app in my life, but I have uh, in moments of uh, stress <laughs> downloaded a couple and thought, oh, maybe this will help me, and found that it doesn't, hasn't helped me and wasn't right for me. But I do know, I do, I know people who use them, and sometimes when I work with clients, they mention that they're using these apps, and I do see things advertised on social media and, uh, and so forth, uh, and, and the growing trend of that. And so I just want to shine a light and bring some things into awareness here. Uh, the first is that, you know, no one can teach us how to meditate, which sounds like a controversial opinion, because we have this belief that if we go to a workshop, we sit with a guru, we go to a yoga class, we're going to learn this amazing skill. But actually no one can teach us how to meditate because meditation is a state of being. So you are meditating when you are in a meditative state, when you're doing the washing up, when you're going for a walk, when you're having a shower, when you're cooking, when you're reading a book. All of these are meditative states. And why are they meditative states? Because they are about being in the moment and allowing any thoughts that we have, any uh, worries that we have, um, any repetitive thoughts that we have to just flow through us. We're bringing awareness to the present moment and to what is going on within us, our breath, our thinking, our body. And there are different ways that we can connect to a meditative practice. It can be with breath, it can be connection to the body, to pain, um, connection to states of joy, uh, connection to states of love. It can be connection to the in and out of the breath. Um, it can be a mindfulness of the physical act, whether you're walking, doing the washing up, or doing something else repetitive, or staring at something like a candle flame or a point on the wall across you. And there are different ways in to this meditative state, in different forms of meditation. Some require you to sit upright and be very rigid and sit in the same spot, and others allow you to lie down and move and so forth. And all of these are valid because all of these 
are about you and your connection to your inner world and your body and your breath. And therefore, they're not something that can be taught to us that we then rigidly follow. We can learn different ways to access our own knowing, but once we've learnt them, it's up to us to then find that discipline and that fluidity in order to maintain these practices on a daily basis to keep us alive and vital in a healthy way. Something to say around meditation is that it doesn't work for everyone. For people that have experienced a lot of trauma or have a lot of anxiety, meditation can sometimes make it worse because stillness and being alone with their thoughts it brings up the anxiety. And some people will say, well, that's a good thing and you need to move through it and breathe through it and so forth. But it doesn't work for everyone. And often for people who've experienced trauma, physical trauma of some kind or emotional, sexual, uh, spiritual even, or people that have a lot of anxiety, what tends to work for them is a movement practice. So something that's meditative in movement, like Tai Chi or Qigong or yoga or going for a walk or you know, being in nature, because the movement allows the dissipation of the anxiety that can come up in moments of stillness. And through the dissipation of that anxiety, through the movement, there can then be a quietening and a stilling. And why do we meditate? We meditate to come home to ourselves, to have clearer thoughts, to let go of things that might be bogging us down, to have inspiration, to access our creativity, to have quiet time. You know, we meditate for health, uh, to lower our blood pressure, to change the different um, pathways in our brain. You know, we can change our ways of thinking. And as we do that, we change our health and our wellness. So there are many reasons why we meditate. But the main reason for me is that it's about a deeper connection with oneself and self-healing. Now, a lot of these apps and devices are there to assist you if, you if you struggle to meditate. And what I want to say is that if you struggle to meditate, maybe you just haven't found the right meditative practice for you at this time, or maybe even traditional meditation isn't for you, and it's worth exploring these other options that bring in movement uh, or some form of even creativity. So it's not that you're failing or you can't do it or you're too anxious or you're too unwell. It's that it's just not right for you at this time. And there'll probably come another time when it might be right for you. So that's the first thing to say. The second thing to say is that if you're struggling with meditation, that's okay. <laughs> like, I don't know anyone, really, who's, you know, in their truth and authentic that doesn't struggle with it. I've struggled with it my whole life. I still enjoy it. And I have moments when I hate it. But I still know that I get a lot more out of it than I don't by not doing it, you know? And that those moments, even it's 5, 10, 15 minutes of just stillness, of just observing my breath or observing my thoughts, give me so much more than if I'm not doing it. And that in moments of stress or distress or sickness or even joy, to have those times of self-connection uh, is so vital. So everyone struggles with meditation to a lesser or greater degree, you know. And um, meditation is something that is, you know, it's very challenging to do. 
if you're not sitting on a mountaintop in the most beautiful surroundings. Always said that, you know, if these great gurus were actually sat in a traffic jam in the, in the height of summer in a city surrounded by noise and toxins, they would struggle to meditate. It's okay to, to tell everyone else that they need to find their inner zen when you're sitting in the middle of nowhere on a mountaintop surrounded by fresh air and beauty. So the, the real challenge is to do it in, the, in these challenging places and these challenging times in our life. Now, why do I have issue with apps? My main reason for, there's lots actually, but my main reason for issue with apps is that it creates a dependency. And what I've observed in people who use meditation apps is this kind of smug, um, if this is a generalization, but I have observed it a lot, a sort of smug, uh, self-congratulatory, um, lacking in authenticity and integrity uh, attitude or demeanor. Because the app says, oh, well done, you've meditated for 20 minutes today. You know, and that there's a sense of achievement. Oh, I've used this app for two years or six months and I meditate for 15 minutes every day and it makes me a wonderful person. And it's part of the whole toxic spirituality, new age spirituality bullshit, really. Because a lot of these people... Uh, don't bring that mindfulness and that meditative state into their everyday lives. So the app is something that they do at night or for 10 minutes in the morning, and then they do it and they take it off their list and go, oh, look at me, I did 10 minutes on my app, well done me. And then they go into their life and don't apply those principles because they were dependent on the app or the workshop or the class or the guru or the online course or the book or the CD or the download, in order to get to that state. But what they didn't do was arrive at that state themselves without any aids. And because they didn't do that, that state is then not firmly rooted, embodied in them. It becomes something that they do. It just becomes another thing. Like checking your social media, you'll check in with your app. And it isn't about ticking boxes and saying, I've meditated for 10, day, 10 days or two hours or whatever. It's not about goals. It's about your personal relationship with you. I remember many years ago um, being uh, in an environment, in a work situation with two women who were self-proclaimed m meditators and Buddhists. Uh, one followed one particular uh, branch of Buddhism and another another and they used to sit there in their lunch hours and breaks and compete with each other over who had meditated the most that day so one would pipe up and say oh I meditated for an hour and a half this morning it was wonderful I felt amazing and you could instantly see the other woman turn around and say yeah yeah I, I, I meditated for uh, an hour and, and 50 this morning it was wonderful <laughs> and it became this competition between the two of them it was hilarious um, and the, defeated the whole point of meditation. And actually, both of these women were very angry women, very judgmental, very bitchy, very competitive. They hadn't really brought any of that meditative beauty that they'd spent, you know, two hours indulging in that morning into the workplace or even into their relationships with each other. The whole point of having a personal praxis is that it's not something that we need to ram down anyone else's throat. And we're not looking for prizes. You don't get a gold star because you've meditated for an hour and a half. No one 
gains from that practice, just you. And you gain from it by a, de- a better, deeper relationship with yourself, which can then hopefully translate out into the world. But if it's not translating out into the world, then it's what's called an empty practice. You know, what's the point of doing it? And I think a lot of us get caught up in the drama of em- empty practices. The other thing about apps is a lot of these apps and things that you can, you know, you're either using something that helps you breathe or that monitors your breath or uh, monitors your thought patterns in some ways, is that all your information is in that app. You know, all all the anxiety, a lot of these can monitor um, your heart rate or your anxiety levels. And, and all of that information is now in that app. And I just want to put that out there. Why would you want to give such private information about yourself to an anonymous source? When we know that we live in an age where information can be hacked and can be used for all kinds of things. I'm just putting that out there. Why would you want anyone to know when your heart starts to race or when you feel anxiety? Uh, this, is, this is hugely personal information. So there's one app that I downloaded many years ago. Because uh, I thought it might be interesting. I was working very hard. I was away from home a lot. And um, I thought, well, this will be good for me because I was losing my meditation practice because of my schedule. And the app asked a load of personal questions, you know, deeply personal questions about what made you anxious and what you were looking to heal, what was going on in your body, um, you know, lo- lots of stuff that I really wouldn't even want to share with someone I barely knew, let alone an app. Now imagine putting all that information into the app. Where's that information going? Where is it stored? Who has access to it? And who can use it to their advantage? We know now that social media takes our information. The things that we like, don't like, the comments that we make, the groups that we join. It takes that information and it targets us with targeted advertising. It targets us with targeted posts and steers our consciousness and our thinking in a certain direction if we're not careful, if we're not mindful enough. So it's no coincidence that when you, you know, when you go on social media and you like something, and then however many minutes later, an ad for that thing pops up randomly on social media or on your phone or something. That's not coincidence. That's targeted marketing. And there are people that are better educated in this stuff who can tell you how our data is harvested and then how it's used to manipulate and control us and to sell us stuff. So if, if it's happening at that level where you're just liking a picture of a cat, you know, or you're liking someone's post or uh, you're joining a group on social media, uh, can you imagine what can be done with the information that you might put in an app where you're telling people about your deepest, darkest fears and anxieties uh, and, and, and everything that you're trying to overcome? That is not information to just dish out to any anyone or any device. Now that's information that really should be shared with those that you have as much as is possible complete trust in, that they are looking out for your well-being. And I very much doubt that app developers are looking out for anyone's well-being. They're looking to make money. There was a thing that I saw recently advertised where you hold it in your hand and it helps you breathe and meditate, apparently. Uh, and it's £200. And I very much doubt that the people that developed this developed this for people who were genuinely anxious 
and genuinely needed help because they want to do good in the world. Because really, if they wanted to do good in the world, they wouldn't be charging 200 quid for it. They would say, pay what you can afford, or you know, they would charge a nominal amount that most people could afford. It's quite a high amount of money to, uh, to charge for a silicon thing that you hold in your hand that helps you to breathe and supposedly helps you to meditate. So it's not really coming from goodwill. You know, there would be a tier system of payment, there would be payment plans, there would be so many things that would be in place if it was coming from a good place of will. It's coming from a place to make money, but it's marketed in such a way that it makes us feel that this is the thing that's going to transform our lives and make us better people. The goal of spirituality and meditation is not to be a better person, a better meditator, more calm, more zen, more guru-like. The goal is for you to be better connected with yourself and your truth, however that manifests for you, in whatever way that manifests for you, whether it's increased healing or it's increased energy or it's increased well-being all over or it is increased goodness uh, for for want of another term. But the goal isn't to be uh, seen as to be the guru, you know, and it's certainly not um, a competition. And one of the things that I see with people who use apps, and as I've said that, you know, the, the practice isn't embodied, is that it's a new age spirituality. You know, these are the kind of people that tell you, you need to be more spiritual, that you shouldn't be angry, that you shouldn't swear, that you shouldn't say that, that, you know, you need to be behaving in a certain way to be spiritual in inverted commas, which is all bullshit. We just need to be true to ourselves and not actively harm others. Although as humans on this planet, we're going to come up against other people and maybe sometimes unintentionally cause harm. If it's unintentional and we're mindful of it and we make amends and we apologize, that's just part of the human condition. As long as we're not mindfully, willfully causing damage to the planet and others, then we're doing the best that we can. People that tick boxes and say, I've meditated for two hours today, one hour today, or I did my app, tend to be buying into a new age spirituality, that they are holier than thou now. They know more than the next person because they did 20 minutes on the app. And that's all bullshit and toxic and the very absence of what mindfulness and meditation is about. So just shining a light on meditation apps. Where are you in that connection? And um, how can you start to find something that's a little bit more authentic, that's a little bit more embodied for you. If it's a gateway in and the app helps you to get more embodied, okay. But any reliance on technology and over-reliance on anything is a form of addiction. Whether it's an over-reliance on another individual, on a book, on a practice, on a faith, uh, on a tradition, on a food, on an app, it's all addictive. It all means that we're looking outside of ourselves for something really that is already within us. And all of these things outside of ourselves are there to help us remember who we are. But they're not the answer. And the more we keep reaching and grasping for what is outside us, the more we give our power away, the more easily we're manipulated, and the more we never really heal. You know, nothing ever really changes in our lives. And ultimately what we're looking for is that authentic experience where we are our own best healers and gurus and meditators. The website is sacredspacehealing.org. That's sacredspacehealing.org. 
wherever you are on your journey, I wish you much joy, love, peace and abundance. Until the next time.